following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Kerbis and I had a miscommunication, but I kind of like it. The sermon text actually picks up Romans 12 at verse 9 and continues from there. So here's the word of God. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. In the name of him who lived and died and lives again, friends in Christ. I spent a couple of days on a pig farm in Nebraska, and I met the most hardworking, fun-loving, transparently Christian people I'd ever met. Kind of people that you wonder, do they even exist anymore? Well, they do, and they're in Nebraska. We were having a 2 a.m. conversation, my friend and I, and he, he says, I want to show you something. So we stepped out of the farmhouse, walked about two miles down this uh, gravel road through corridors of corn, and he's probably as far from light pollution as I'd ever been in my life, and he showed me the stars. I thought I knew what they were. He showed me the stars. My goodness. C.S. Lewis called this the greatest lyric in the world. This is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And the psalm continues the old Hebrew poem with the perpetual wordless shout. He is. He is. And we unhinge our minds at the wonder of it all. And that's how the Hebrew poem begins. That's the first half. And then without a single letter of transition, suddenly it moves from the works of God to the word of God. 
The teaching of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And so we stepped out of one kind of beauty, back into the farmhouse, into another kind of beauty. So two things are beautiful. Two things reflect the character of God. One is the universe he designed, and the other is his will for us, for how he would, how he would have us live. Two things are beautiful. Many of us shared in this weekend in a marriage retreat, and we were stunned and awed by the spiritual beauty in the book of Ruth. Romans 12 has us for a time broaden our view now to, to what love looks like in all kinds of other contexts besides marriage. If you, if you were counting as I read the scripture, I know you weren't, you would have heard 29, 29 do's and don'ts about love, and they all come under the, the theme verse that says, love must be sincere. You recognize the word behind this in the original language, not hypocrisy. It can't be fake. It can't be a performance. It can't be a thing just acted out. It can't be a thing we do out of social obligation. It can't be a thing we do out of our need to look good. It can't be a thing out of our obsession to think well of ourselves. Can't be that. Love must be real. It is to see the need of my neighbor, and I know something about that, and I reach for it, and I do what I can. Love must be sincere. Now, these 29 do's and don'ts are kind of a lot, and they move across a whole set of contexts. So the first set, if you were listening for this, was love in the family of God. So how, how love looks among us right here. And it, a close reading says, it's like a competition. We're trying to outdo each other in how we honor each other. It's like, who can be the best? Who among us can be the best? at treating other people as the best. That's how it begins. And then it moves to what love looks like with people we're meeting for the first time. And we spoke about this this weekend. It's how to create a warm, open space for the stranger. It's called hospitality. Some people think this is at the heart and core of how we grow the family of faith as we open our homes, open up a warm place for people who are new. Then it moves into what love looks like in a world that is relentlessly hostile to you. And it is about meeting that hostility with something else. Like like a protest march, let's say. Protest line, and we meet it with coffee and donuts and a smile and our arms open. So meeting a world that's hostile to us, then it becomes meeting a world that hasn't only, hasn't only hurt us, but that needs something from us. In the end, it's a world that is thirsty. It's a world that's hungry. And this is how the apostle says, this is how we overcome evil with good. And that is a beautiful thing. But I wonder if you're in this 
headspace right now thinking, oh, this is so gorgeous. Is that where you are right now? Oh, this is just so gorgeous. This is so incandescently beautiful. All these principles of love or would you say, how in the world can I find something beautiful that so profoundly accuses me? How can that be beautiful to me? How, how does my mind and my conscience not just fill up with the memories of my own failures to love? How can it be beautiful? Our fathers uh, thought this through quite deeply, and they had a phrase. The phrase in Latin is lex semper accusa. That just means the law always accuses. What it means is that we find ourselves condemned and we find ourselves hurting under the will of God for our lives, even if that's not at all what the inspired writer is trying to do to us. That's not at all the intention of Romans chapter 12, to make us feel ashamed and to make us wither under the light of God's holy will. That's not the purpose. That happened earlier in the book. Earlier in Romans, we hear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we, we take the painful journey inside looking for something good, and it's disappointing. And the wages of sin is death. We have this early in Romans. But then it's the, the gift of God. It's Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he gives us Jesus. And that's the end of all that shame. It's a permission here. That thing that nags your conscience, there's permission here to never think about that thing again. Because that's all behind us now. The apostle, he's just saying, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And it's, it's this constellation of ideas but how life can now be lived. A constellation of ideas, what love looks like. If you love Hebrew, or if you love grammar, <laughs> who doesn't love grammar? <laughs> In the original language, the Apostle Paul is bending over backwards to not have any imperatives here. No commands. It's all infinitives and participles and rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn because it's just, I want to show you something. How life can now be lived. This is our changed situation in the light of the pure, free forgiveness that comes to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. At a cost we can scarcely take in. How life can now be lived with, as we make our resort to the grace of God and ask him to do every good thing in us. That's what this is. So I remember another late night conversation. It was, it was in 10th grade, and it's with my 10th grade best friend. And in a moment of transparency, my friend Judd says, you know, I don't know if I've ever really loved anybody. In fact, I don't even know if I know what love is. That's what my friend said, the friend with the broken family and the friend who was popular and knew how to get people to like him. I don't know if I've ever loved anybody. And that is the burning question today, friends in Christ. The burning question today, do we love each other? Do we? Do we love each other? The thing is, 
the quality of friendship that guy offered to me, a nobody, it still kind of takes my breath away. Yes, he, only, he doesn't see it. He only sees his struggle. He only sees the taint on every word, every deed, every moment. That's all he sees. He knows well that there's no merit in the flawed love we offer. There's no earning power there, nor does there need to be. All this he knows. But the answer to the question is, yes, he loves. Yes, he loves. Yes, we love each other. Not to our own satisfaction, but we love each other. And that just means that Jesus didn't fail. Jesus did not fail in his mission to create a people who are eager to do what is good and know what the word means. So we'll take this question always. How do we know what love is? We'll always take this question and run to Jesus because we are not love's definition. We are not the essence of it. Here it is. And John is, or John is just saying, the Apostle John, I want to show you something. This is how we know what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. For this question, do we know what love is? There is only Jesus, the Son of God and the maker of stars, God from God, light from light, who came to us across the impossible space that was between us, came to us. And we meet him first as, as the baby, and then we meet him as, as a man acting in the character of God. And then we meet him as the only one that ever fully embodied Romans 12. Love walking around. We meet him as love walking around, and then we meet him as God on the cross. One willing to go to that length for you. And then we meet him as a savior risen from the dead. This is all the scriptures promise. This is how we know. This is how we know. And we unhinge our minds and our imaginations. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what glory is. And no matter what you ever see or feel in this world, this is how we know who God is. He's revealed to his very heart in Jesus, the Son of God. This is how we know. Why does John write that? Because he was there, you see. There's a legend of... uh, the old Apostle John, just a legend. He was the only disciple that reached old age, right? And let the last living link to Jesus is what he was. And the legend is that they would carry old John to the front of their gatherings, their sanctuaries, and carry old John to the front. And he would deliver his one-sentence sermon that was the essence of everything he knew whittled down. He would say, little children, Love one another as you are loved. And then carry them back. (laughs) Little children, love one another as you are loved. And that is beautiful. It's the beauty of Christ. It's a robe that we we wear by faith. A robe that covers our shame. It doesn't just cover our shame, it heals our memories as well. We don't gotta earn our keep anymore. That's all over. That's all done and gone and past. There's no coercion in the law. That is to say, there's no twisting our arms and telling us to do something we don't already want to do in our, in our Christian heart. There's none of that. 
There's no do this or else. There's only a depiction of freedom. Here's how life can be lived in Christ. This new heart is in you by the grace of God and by his spirit. The word says, love as you are loved. And we say yes. We say yes, Father, if only, do this for me. Help me to love as I am loved. And you think the Father's gonna say no to that prayer? You think so? Father, let me love as you have loved me? Absolutely not. There's no chance. You heard in the gospel reading that we are like branches attached to the vine. This is the whole game. The whole thing is to be attached to Jesus through his word like a branch is attached to a vine. And then it's not you can or you should or you will or you might. It's, it's simply you, you will, you will bear fruit, fruit that will last. You will. It's a promise. And here's a promise too. For anybody who has ever been a nobody or ever felt disgrace or shame or ugly or unlovable, this is quoting Isaiah, quoting, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of your God forever. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of your God forever in and through Jesus. So I wanted to bring us back to marriage. I know all of us here now are not married, but we want to tie a bow on the marriage enrichment experience that we, many of us had this weekend um, that we were so blessed by. And I thought I wanted to, boy, thinking of a story. What's a story we can tell that would capture that there's beauty in the stars and there's beauty in the sunset shimmering on the water, but there's beauty of another kind as well. And I'm thinking of a story, then I thought of this one. And I will try to read this to you. Some of you found out I'm a very sappy guy. I'll try to get through this. This is from a surgeon named Richard Selzer. It's in a book called Notes on the Art of Surgery. Here's what he wrote. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, had been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon himself, the surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself. He and his wry, and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily, the young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks, yes, I say, it will, because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says, kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. 
I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with one soul like God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her. Bends to kiss her crooked mouth and I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. Stars are beautiful. Sunset on the lake is beautiful. This is beauty of another kind. Someone has said beauty is nostalgic. That is to say, all beauty reminds. What does it remind you of? But Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. So while we have breath, until they carry us out, little children, parents and children and friends and neighbors and husbands and wives love each other even as you are loved. Amen.